Kia ora and welcome to the series of podcasts called Let's Chat About, where I give experts working in the dementia care across Aotearoa an opportunity to talk about a topic and share some of the evidence that's available. I'm Kathy Perry and the Director of the Dementia Learning Centre at Alzheimer New Zealand. If you're interested in knowing more about the experts, please visit our site, Dementia Learning Centre section on the Azama New Zealand website. Here you'll find a lot more podcasts and links to other resources. Today I'm joined with Annabelle Grant, a speech language therapist with a specialty knowledge in adult language disorders, especially those associated with dementia. In this episode, we'll be chatting about when I am lost for words. So welcome to the podcast, Annabelle. Can you tell us a little about yourself before we get into some of the more nitty gritty questions around when am I lost for words and how do we go? Okay, good morning, Kathy. Um, yeah, my name's Annabelle. I'm a speech and language therapist and currently a clinical educator at Massey University. So I'm involved in supervising students who are working mostly with older adults, whether that's in our clinic or in the community. Um, and I have a, I guess, yeah, long-term interest in working particularly with people with dementia. I'm currently a PhD student, um, oh. part-time. Uh, so really enjoying learning more about dementia and social connection or social inclusion. Is that your topic um, in your um, for your PhD thesis? Yeah, or, that's right. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to work with people in the early stages because I um, think a lot of people get their diagnosis and then uh, not much else. And I'm aware that communication is often a really big issue um, and one of the main ways for staying socially connected. People get that message, you know, that social connection is good for the brain, but I think that can be really hard when you're losing your words or um, memory's not so good. So I was really keen to talk to people in those early stages by themselves and with their friends or their connections and just find out how they're experiencing it. And then with my hat on as a speech language therapist, I can start to think, well, what might that mean for the types of services that people might want after diagnosis? That would be a really, really good um, resource for the future. And um, good luck with that. When are you finishing your PhD just before we launch into? Give me a couple of years. A, more, a couple more years. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So when a person um, uh, with dementia is lost for words, what kind of things can we do to ensure we are being person-centred in the way we support and also, more importantly, how we communicate with these individuals? Yeah. One of the um, principles that I always like to come back to is that of saving face. So making sure that the person's, I guess, dignity is upheld. Um, and I guess that comes back to I mean the common scenario would be that somebody's repeating a message mm. repeating a question um, and it uh, can feel perhaps frustrating um, but I guess remembering that you know they're not doing it on purpose this is because um, you know because of their memory some of the you know recent events aren't going in so I guess just accepting that um, 
that you will get those repeated questions um, and thinking, well, what might the person need to hear and how can I uh, put things in place that might answer that need for them? So I guess, yeah, that's accepting. Um, focusing on their strengths mm. is a really good one. So, I mean, we talk a bit about person-centered care. So in terms of conversation or communication, I think the more that you know the person, you know the stories they like to tell and you know their history, then you can more easily um, remind them of things. So rather than asking them questions about, um, you know, when did you get married or how old were you when you had your second child? You know, if you know those things, then rather remind and prompt. So, you know, didn't you tell me that, you know, you were that old when you got married or um, oh, you told me about that. So just reminding rather than asking them fact-based questions because mm. I think that often people test their um, partner or their family member with dementia and they're doing it out of a place of love. They want mm. them to remember. They don't want thing, They don't want memories to be lost. But I think that coming back to the saving face, it, if you can't pull that fact out of your brain, that must feel a bit embarrassing or a bit a bit yucky to not be able to remember so rather prompting and reminding um, is a better way to go and then I guess using things like photos or um, you know things that are written down rather can remind people and get them into the conversation so those are the main ones that spring to mind. Yeah, I just popped out here. I was thinking visual aids that popped yep. in. Are there any other than photos? Do you know of any other visual aid sort of resources that are available that you would recommend? I mean, often I think we'd like to do a like a memory book with somebody. So mm -hmm. kind of a this is your life and and then they've got all those main details there and they have photos of significant events or um I guess those personal things, favorite holidays, names of the people in the family, um, and having that prepared can mean that their, I guess, sense of self is preserved. And I guess going into the later stages where people might be having other people caring for them, whether that's at home or eventually perhaps going into, into a care home. Um, having that book, I think, is a really good prompt to maintain that who they are. They're not... Uh, just a person in that home but they've got a rich history so having those photos often people are proud of their careers um, and I've seen I remember a particular lady that I worked with who'd been a nurse um, and in conversation without any without a visual without a memory book um, the carer was kind of quizzing her and asking those sorts of questions about dates and you know she, she didn't look very able in the conversation. She looked like she was struggling for words and she was umming and ahhing over particular dates. You know, she wasn't looking that crash hot, but given a memory book with all those details, then, you know, she her reading was good. Often people can read for a long time. Um, then she had that in hand and she was often racing, you know, she was the one that was bringing up topics. She was elaborating on things because she could see the photo of the, you know, old institution where she'd trained and how some of the things were a bit horrible about the uh, people that were training her. And, you know, she just looked like a completely uh, much more able person um, just because she had that prompt in hand. 
So that was enabling her to find the words that she needed yeah. to communicate what she was trying to um, say. That's yeah. a really, really good um, um, idea. And um, is it? And it's been really helpful, wouldn't it, to have that um, collated together with, at that mm. stages? Is that something yeah. that you see as um, something that you recommend in your practice? Yeah, and I and I guess perhaps people in the very early stages might not need something like that. I've you know worked with other people who use their smartphones oh. very ably. Maybe they can't find the word for a you know particular town, but they'll just go straight onto the maps app on their phone have a look at the country and they know where it is and they'll just zoom in and go oh it's Christchurch mm -hmm. um, so people can use those tools that we all use every day um, to to get by and they might have pages of you know details you know because it, it's a little hard to recall where their son's new job is mm -hmm. so they'll have written those details down and that that might be a bit more of a dynamic uh, way of accessing a lot of material and I guess those aids can change so maybe later down the track you might want things just in one place um, and you can have quite a bit of text that supports the photo and then perhaps later on you might just need a few words um, to prompt. Oh no I think that's a, a great idea especially around the smartphones and I mean it's great to have photos of the past but we also want our people living with dementia to be in the present so mm. having those opportunities and using tablets smartphones is a really great suggestion I think that's excellent. Do you mm. have any other practical examples of how you might support a person living with dementia to remain connected with their friends? Friends let's talk about friends a little bit Mm. and then we'll touch on families um yeah yeah well I think often friends you know they've gone on holidays together or they share a hobby so they'll be able to do those same things of you know maybe bringing up a photo on their phone or or they introduce the topic um you know oh we had that lovely you know holiday in um Coromandel last year oh I've got this photo on my phone and um you know, and then, yeah, telling a bit of the story. So they set the context mm -hmm. and then the person with dementias understands the context. They can uh, jump in and give their opinions or their thoughts. Um, yeah, and I guess some of just those basic, you know, communication strategies friends can use. So making sure that you're, um, I guess, face-to-face, -face, you know, getting someone's attention before you start talking, Um I guess changing, making sure that the way that you communicate is is easily understandable, and that, and I don't think speaking slowly does a lot of good, but mm -hmm. speaking in ways that aren't complex is fine. You know, just kind of simplifying, and then maybe giving a pause mm -hmm. for the person to process what you've said, mm -hmm. and time for them to respond. Mm -hmm. So those things can, you know, as you know, as well as having images photos or things written down um, they can they can really help I guess scaffold or support somebody in the conversation that's a very that's very useful um, tips there Annabelle because friends are important in our lives mm -hmm. and yeah 
though as far that I guess the the same example you could say were families as well but yeah. In a different, yeah so if it was a grandchild what how would you commute tell talk to a grandchild about um communicating with their nonna or their grandma or grandpa what would what tips and tricks might you offer them I mean yeah I think the same things apply um we often think about the environment so if um can you make sure there's not too many distractions and does that mean turning off the TV or the radio um, mm. and getting face-to-face? -face, um, yeah, maybe, yeah, getting the person's attention. That might be touch them on the hand or say their name um, and, yeah, showing things, having things written down. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, we've, you know, do some lovely um, interventions with children and, you know, I think just giving them a few tips about, um, yeah, not talking too fast, keeping it simple. Um, I guess being aware if somebody has hearing loss, um, hopefully within the family that they're, that, you know, they've got some hearing aids or um, so that they can hear the conversation as well. Yeah, no, that's that's very good. I think the um the idea of keeping the environment nice and quiet and you know not too many distractions, especially in that so that the child will actually moderate um themselves with just that um with their grandma or grandma talking to them in a way that they communicate well with. Yeah, um, and I think a lot of people do do better um one to one than in yeah. a big group. So, mm -hmm. you know, again, it seems seems simple but you know if you're going down to the pub is there somewhere where you can be slightly away from the noise and um, in that group that just people take turns having a one-to-one -one conversation might be easier yeah because I mean they want to go out and enjoy family occasions and mm -hmm. actually that's one area going out to dine can be quite mm -hmm. stressful and you know they can become quite um, anxious and mm. uh, and want to go home when really it all might need is a little bit of a quiet kind of a space. Like yeah. Yeah. All right. So are there any other little tips and tricks that you could share with us this morning on how we might be better communicate with our people living with dementia? Or um, I mean, I think a lot of it comes back to sort of the, the attitude that you go in with. Um, and... You know, if if you are with somebody and they've got, um, I don't know, chronic heart disease or they've, you know, got arthritis and so you know that you might need to, um, you know, not choose a hill to walk up. You might, you know, choose to take them out and go and for a walk on the flat, you know, or only go for half an hour. Um, you make accommodations um, based on what you know your friend needs. So similarly your friend with dementia might need you to make some accommodations so uh, doing those remind you know reminders um, not asking them a whole lot of fact questions but uh, prompting and getting their opinion on on things um, by reminding them so yeah very good very good suggestions Annabelle so um, thank you for joining us for a chat about communication and what to do when a person is lost for words. Um, if anyone's listening and wants to learn more, there are links on, on the resources on our website. So thanks for tuning in today. Nā mihi nui.